Thank you, Pastor Aaron. Well, good morning, Journey. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Ken, and I am so glad that you are here with us. Are you having a great weekend so far? It's been uh, so, so much fun, and um, how many of you have already set off a few fireworks yourself? You know, you've already burned a few fingers, and good, good, that's great. I'm <laughs> just joking. Hey, we're going to get into our sermon in just a few minutes, but I wanted to take some time, and I think it's really appropriate on this weekend of all weekends when we take some time to think about our founding documents and think about who we are as a nation. You know, Scripture says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, that godliness makes a nation great, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Isn't that interesting? And so uh, I want to talk to you for a few minutes before we get into our sermon about an issue that is not a Republican issue or a Democratic issue. It's not a political issue. It's a moral issue. And it's an issue that every single one of you need to know about, especially if you're residents of the state of Ohio. You know, a little over a year ago, Roe v. Wade uh, was reversed by the Dobb decision. And um, what that essentially does is kick it back to each individual state. And so we know that this November, Ohio voters are going to be seeing a measure on our ballots to change our state constitution. Instead of going through the legislative or executive branches, they're doing kind of a, there's a, a lot of out-of-state interest groups that are pouring in. Already the estimate that I've heard is $70 million is going to be spent on what's going to be coming on our uh, ballots in November. And uh, it's, it's essentially it's a, a constitutional amendment for the state of Ohio, for Ohio's constitution, to not just legalize abortion for perpetuity, but it's such an extreme bill that it will make abortion legal all the way to the place of birth. So our legislature would never, because it's a constitutional amendment, our legislature would never have the ability to ban late-term abortions or, or to put any kind of restrictions on abortion whatsoever. In addition, it'll take away parental rights, not just regarding the issue of abortion, but regarding the issue of any kind of reproductive procedures. For instance, if your middle school or high school student um, decides that they don't uh, appreciate their gender, a high school teacher or a coach or a friend could take them and get a procedure, hormone treatments or other procedures without any kind of parental involvement whatsoever. It's extremely, extremely um, uh, evil, <laughs> can we just say that? Uh, amendment that's coming, and, and you may disagree with me, but um, I got the microphone, so I guess I get to talk right now. <laughs> but uh, so, so, okay, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that, but um, so here's the thing, that's coming down, that's going to be in November, what can we do about it right now? Well, in, on August 8th, there's going to be a special election in the state of Ohio, there won't be any other um, candidates on the ballot. There won't be any other issues. There will be one singular issue on August 8th. And can I just tell you, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that voter turnout for this kind of election is going to be extremely low. August. What are people doing in August, right? And so it is so important that people who believe in righteousness and, and believe that, that there's, there's common sense and there's right and there's wrong, it's so important that we go on August 8th, and I want to explain this because already, if you're, if you're on social media, you're already seeing all kinds of advertisements. You're already seeing this on television, and it's very confusing. I was talking to a gentleman this morning who came in, and he said, I'm just so confused. What is this issue all about? 
On August 8th, I would encourage you to vote yes on issue one. And what it's going to do is it's going to make it harder for out-of-state special interest groups to buy their way into changing our Constitution. Constitutions, listen, constitutions are meant to be stable, enduring documents. You were not meant to do legislation through constitutional amendments. That is supposed to go through our Ohio representatives and through the executive branch who are governor and otherwise. A yes vote on issue one will not make it impossible to amend the Constitution, and already there's groups out there trying to say that that's the case. Instead, what it will do is it will raise the threshold from 50% plus one to change our Constitution. That's all right now it takes. We're one of the few states that allow to change our Constitution with just 50%. Issue one on August 8th will raise that threshold to 60%. It will also raise the threshold of the number of, not the number of signatures needed to put a referendum on, but it will now require representation from all 88 counties instead of just representation from maybe a college town or other vicinities. So I want to challenge you, and I want you to get educated, read it, go online. You can actually read issue one now. You can read the whole thing. In fact, you shouldn't vote on it unless you've read it, is my opinion. Pay attention to what you're voting for, and then on August 8th, I would challenge you, and our church leadership would challenge you to vote yes on issue one to make it harder to change our constitution for the state of Ohio. Now, here's the thing. If you're not registered to vote, you need to get registered to vote. You have one more week to be able to register to vote in order to be able to vote on August 8th. Now, I've I've got a friend, he's actually in here today, and we were talking about this a couple weeks ago, and he's like, listen, my vote's not going to ever matter. Have you ever felt that way? My vote doesn't matter. I, I have felt that. I'll be honest. I have felt that way. Does my vote really matter? So um, a year and a half ago, some of you guys know that I ran for school board. I never mentioned it once from the pulpit or from this platform. In fact, if you aren't friends with me on social media or you didn't see all of my signs in the Clyde Green Springs uh, School District, you would have never even known that I was running. I lost that by eight votes. Your vote matters. <laughs> Okay, your vote matters, and in a low turnout election on August 8th, your vote especially matters. So you have one week, one week to register to vote, that's the deadline. If you don't know whether you're registered to vote, call your board of elections for the county that you live in. They are friendly people. I've gotten to know some of the people on those, the board of elections. They're very friendly. They'll help you out. If you say, I don't know, am I registered? They'll look your name up. They'll tell you where you vote. They'll give you all the details. And uh, so you should, you should check that out. Also, early voting begins July 11th. So July 11th, you can, and here's the trick. This is a little hack. If you vote early, if you vote on July 11th, you won't get all the mail. All, you know, for the next month, you'll be getting all kinds of crap in your mailbox, right? As soon as you vote, they take your name off of all those mailing lists because they don't want to spend as much money trying to get your vote. So it's a little hack. You can vote early. All you got to do, again, go to your board of elections. So we all, and if you want any information, if you, I like to nerd out on this stuff. I'll talk to you all day long about this. But um, uh, educate the people around you, too. You know, your, your loved ones, your family members, the people you don't like in your family. Uh, talk, talk about this. I don't know that social media is the best platform to have fights over this. I don't think we change anybody's minds through social media. But I do think when you sit down and talk to somebody and have a conversation and you get educated and you look at the issue, it's important to do, right? That wasn't your sermon. Okay, some of you are like, man, we're done early. That's not your sermon. (laughs) 
But it does play into what we're going to be talking about today because we're talking about, we just started a series last week called Think Like Jesus. And here's the issue is that we don't spend enough time thinking about what we think about. And yet it's our thoughts that determine our behavior, our responses, our reactions, the things that we say. It all starts with our thoughts. So what is shaping your thoughts? Because I promise you, somebody, something is shaping your thoughts. What if we, especially those in this room who say that you're followers of Jesus, you're disciples of Jesus, what if we took our cue instead of the, from the world, what if we took our cues from Scripture and specifically from the words of Jesus, and what if we began to think like Jesus. So last week we started in Matthew chapter 5. We began in verse 1, which sets it up. And then in verse 3, we started looking at the beginning of a sermon that Jesus gives. This is the longest recorded sermon in the Bible. It's traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount. And last week we looked at what Jesus has to say about blessing. And that really Jesus turns this idea upside down. Like in our culture, we think if you get a new house or you get a new car or, or you're sitting at an expensive restaurant, you know, hashtag blessed. But what we looked at last week is this idea of blessing in the Greek, makarios, that, it, that it's actually the smile of God. It's the fact that eternal, everlasting, almighty God would look upon you and me who are just vapors. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. And yet almighty, everlasting God would look and he would approve of you. He would accept you. He would smile upon you and applaud you. Isn't that incredible? And, and Jesus revolutionizes and he turns upside down, what does it mean to be blessed? And if you missed that, I encourage you to go online. If you go to YouTube and look up Journey Church Fremont, you can, you can watch that. But today what we want to talk about is how do we think like Jesus when it comes to purpose? Because many of us in this room are looking for a reason, roaming through the night to find our place in this world. You're looking for a purpose. You're looking for a meaning. So Jesus is going to speak. Again, we found in Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2, he is specifically speaking to disciples. He's speaking to followers of Jesus, which many of you in this room would say that that's me. So this is what Jesus says to us, and we're picking up the very, last week we stopped at verse 12. Today we're going to start with verse 13. Over the course of the summer, we're going to go verse by verse through this entire sermon, and I think we're going to learn a lot. So let's start in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about purpose. He says, you, again, he's speaking to his disciples, followers, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? This is a hard phrase for people who have a lisp. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Say that ten times fast. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. So right out of the gates, Jesus says something that's very huge. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Not someday, not if you really study the Bible and you go to church all every single time the doors are open. And you, no, he says, you are. And it's interesting, as he's saying this present tense, his disciples hadn't been following him that long. We're in Matthew chapter 5. His disciples have only been following him for maybe several months. And yet he looks at this motley crew of knuckleheads and he looks them in the eyes and he says, guys, you are the salt of the earth. You don't need to wait 
And I think a lot of times we're just kind of waiting for something to happen to us. We're just waiting to get to the place of feeling like it. And I think Jesus would look at you and he looks at me and he'd say, no, 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 no. You are the salt of the earth. The earth needs you. The world needs you. The people around you, they need you. From the moment that you respond to Jesus' call on your life, your identity changes. Your purpose changes. You are the salt of the earth. So, so what is this salt of the earth thing all about? What, it, what in the world does that mean? Well, salt is one of the most versatile minerals on planet earth. Salt is incredible, isn't it? How many of you like some salt? How many of you eat way too much salt? Yeah. Guilty, right? All of us, right? Good. It's interesting if you, and you don't need to do this right now, but if you Google uses for salt, you'll be blown away at historically the uses that people have found for salt. In the ancient world, when Jesus was speaking, actually the most used uh, purpose for salt would not be what you and I think it would be. It was actually most used in the ancient world as a preservative. They didn't have refrigeration systems. And so salt would be packed around meat and it would cause the meat to be able to last longer so that you could eat it without dying, right? So, so think about when Jesus is looking at you and me and he's saying you are the salt of the earth. He's saying without you, everything's going to rot. God has put us in this earth to, to, to preserve, to preserve righteousness. But, but it, it is also for flavoring foods, it was salt, it was used in, in smaller doses as a fertilizer. It was even used in some cultures as a currency, as, as their way of trading. So when you think about salt, it really requires two things to be effective. First of all, salt requires potency. Potency. In verse 13, Jesus offers this warning. If the salt loses its saltiness, it loses its taste or its strength or its quality, how can it be restored or how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything, only to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So how can salt lose its saltiness? How can it lose its saltiness? Really, there's only one way that salt can lose its saltiness, and that is by being diluted weakened through the addition of other elements. Followers of Jesus, we have got to evaluate our potency. Am I impacting others with the grace and the life of Jesus, or am I the one being impacted by the ways and values of other people? Potency. You are the salt of the earth. How potent are you? Here's the second thing that this requires for salt to be effective is proximity. If I keep the salt in its box, it has no effect. It's got to get out of the box in, able to, in order to make a difference. In the same way, followers of Jesus, we can't just congregate with other Christians. We've got to get out of the box. We've got to get out of the box. We need you involved in society and culture. We need Christians creating films and television. We need Christians running for local elections. We need to get out of the box. We need to get involved in culture and in society. How are you making a difference? You know, some of the ways in a church that we talk about, and we've talked about even over the last couple months, is, is, is through sharing care. That's a great way to get out of our box and, and get into the community where we're helping, the Liberty Center. 
Nursing home ministries, where's Bob at? He'll give me, there's Bob, he'll give me a great big amen. If, you're, if you want to be involved in nursing home ministries, Bob would love to have your help. He has a vision, and, and, and our church is right on board with this, to have services going, church services going in every nursing home in our county. Wouldn't that be incredible? In fact, can we just say it, Bob, that we want them in every nursing home in our state. And I think what God is doing here is going to be a, a momentum for that happening. Mentoring students. I know it's hard to say because it's July 2nd and school seems so far away, but we're going to blank. And the school year is going to be starting. Can I just tell you, we need Christians in our schools. If you're available during the day and you have an hour a week that you can go into a school and sit at a table across from a student, it's not tutoring. It's just saying, hey, how's your, how's your, how's your weekend who are you? Were you with your mom or your dad? What, what was that like? What was the best part of your weekend? What are the challenges? What's going on? How can I help you? You know, we've got to get out of the box. Now, listen, this can, be, this can be hard, especially for some of us in this room. Hi, my name is Ken, and you're not going to believe this, but I am an introvert. I, if you know me, you know this is true. Right? And so here's what the introverts in this room want to do. We want to say, well, God wired me as an introvert, and so I don't have to get out of the box. Right? And here's what God's been challenging me with lately is just saying yes to the people around me who aren't followers of Jesus, who are seekers. When they invite me to do something, I'm not talking about something stupid. Right? I've got a neighbor. I love him. I just love, I love having conversations with him. He challenges me. He stretches me. He's a seeker. He's trying to figure out, he's reading the Bible and stuff, and so he'll text me and be like, what are you doing right now? And I'm like, I'm reading a book in my room, living my best life ever, right? Like, and the Holy Spirit's just been challenging me, nothing, what are you doing? You want to come over for a fire? Sure. I've got a whole cooler of beer. I don't drink beer, but I'll watch you drink beer all night long, like, me. I'll bring my ginger ale, <laughs> right? Like, what, what is this about? If we're the salt of the earth, we got to get out of the box. We got to engage with the people around us. And by engaging, I don't mean that we're always negative. <laughs> Every time we engage with culture, it doesn't have to be that we're against something. I know I, st- you know, and I started this sermon with being against something, but actually we're for something. We're for issue one on August 8th, okay? So we're, we're for something, When we get, it doesn't always have to be, it's just, hey, how are things going? We're bringing salt because we're the salt of the earth, right? So after using the illustration of salt, Jesus gives a second analogy. This is in verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. You are the light of the world. Not someday, not if you get enough education, not if you read your entire Bible. No, you, present tense, are the light of the world. Can you imagine a world without thousands of watts of electric power at your beck and call? You know, we really can't. We were talking about this. We're in the Dominican Republic, kind of in a remote area, and we were up on a hill and at night, and we looked out, and there's light everywhere. 
Even in a place like the Dominican Republic, I mean, because of iPhone screens and because of LED lamps and headlights and all this, like we can't even imagine a world where it's dark like the world that Jesus was teaching in 2,000 years ago in the ancient world. He, he looked at the people who knew darkness and he says, listen guys, listen ladies, you are the light of the world. Now in John's gospel, in John chapter 8, verse 12, he would make it clear that he is actually the light. Jesus is the light, right? We are all orbiting Jesus, reflecting his light. Think of it this way. Jesus is the sun, and you and I are the moon. The moon doesn't shine with its own light. It shines with reflected light. And at times, the church, which is the body of Christ, at times the church has been full and dazzling the world with almost a daytime uh, radiance. And at other times, the church has been only a small little thumbnail with very little light shining upon the earth. You are the light of the world. So to be effective as a light, we've got to think about two things. And if you've been paying attention to this sermon, these might sound familiar. Number one, we need to think about potency. (laughs) You're like, I don't get it. Just because you weren't paying attention to the first two points, but that's all right. Potency. The brightness or power of our light is directly connected to our closeness to Jesus. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 15. He says, remain in me, abide in me, stay connected to me, right? It's so vital, it's so important. I, I was trying to think of an example of this, and I was thinking of back in the second grade, And back when I was in elementary school 100 years ago, you were allowed to barter. In fact, it was expected that there would be bartering that would happen at the cafeteria table. Today, Carrie tells me in elementary schools, that's a no-no. You're not allowed to be trading food, and who knows? I mean, maybe grandma's going to make a bologna sandwich that's going to kill half the school or something. But but I guess today, you're not supposed to trade. I don't know if that's true. You guys can fact-check me later. But back when I was in second grade, that was part of the lunchtime ritual, was trading your food, right? And I remember, I remember Brian Smith, having this glow-in-the-dark ball that was all the rage, and all I had to do was trade a few fruit roll-ups. Come on, somebody. Remember fruit roll-ups? I don't even think they have them anymore, do they? Did you guys guys have fruit roll-ups? Okay. Fruit roll-ups and a couple granola bars, and I was the recipient of my own glow-in-the-dark bouncy ball. I was so excited about this, right? So I put this glow-in-the-dark bouncy ball in my backpack, and I kept it safe. Is it secret? Is it safe? put it in my backpack, and I forgot about it until that night when I was under the bed, and I got out my glow-in-the-dark bouncy ball, and it wouldn't glow. In fact, could we hit the lights? Are you guys ready for this? No phones, please. Oh, man. It didn't glow. But you guys see something on the stage here? What? Okay, you can turn the lights back on. People are freaked out now. And the screen's so bright, anyhow, it doesn't work. So, anyhow. What what does a glow-in-the-dark toy, what does a glow-in-the-dark bouncy ball need in order to be able to glow? It needs to be in the light. It has to be in the light. If it hasn't been in the light... It doesn't do what it needs to do. It has to be a light. Listen, you are the light of the world. And in order for this to work, we need potency. And potency for followers of Jesus requires being in the light. We have to stay connected to our power source. We need to be reading and meditating on the words of Christ. The closer we are to Jesus, the brighter and the more powerful we will be. 
Here's the second thing that we need. This is going to sound familiar. Proximity. Right? Jesus said it himself. You don't light a candle and put it under a bowl. You take the candle, you put it on the lampstand, and now it gives light to the entire room. Our light needs to be evident to the people around us. In fact, Jesus would conclude this kind of section that he's speaking. In verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before men. How do we do that? Let your good deeds be evident. And people will praise your Father in heaven. Now, for those of you who are astute with Scripture, you would say, well, wait, 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 there's some tension here, Ken. Because a little later in the same exact sermon, and we'll get to this in a few weeks, but in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus says this, and we'll put this up on the screen, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. So which one is it? In the same sermon, I mean, this isn't even two separate sermons, Jesus at one point says, hey, let your light shine before men that they might see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven, and a few minutes later in the same exact sermon, he says, don't do your deeds publicly, right? Don't do good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward. Which one is it, Jesus? Do we do our good deeds publicly or in secret? I think the answer is it all has to do with motivation. If I'm thinking like Jesus and my motivation is for God to be glorified, then I need to do my good works before men. If my motivation is ego and pride and I'm looking for someone to give me an attaboy and tell me how awesome of a Christian I am, then I need to start by doing my good deeds in secret, anonymously, so that nobody ever knows. Ultimately, our world needs to see that God's people are reflecting the light of Jesus in this dark world. They need to see a people who think like Jesus. And can I tell you, in the history of Christianity, so we have 2,000 years now, there have been seasons where Christians have gotten this right, and there have been seasons where Christians have gotten this horribly, horrifically wrong. The Crusades are a great example of that, right? Right? There's a, we could get, I just want to be fair, we could give a lot of examples of where Christians have gotten this wrong. But can I tell you, when we get this right, we change culture. Hospitals were starting, started during the Middle Ages by Christians. Much of the, most of the world's greatest universities were started for Christian purposes by followers of Jesus. Did you know that Harvard University was started as a ministry school to train pastors? Christianity is responsible for much of the early literacy and education efforts in history. The abolition of slavery, both in antiquity and in more modern times, was brought about in large part because of Christians. You don't believe me? Go to, go to your history and look at the abolition movement, specifically in the United States of America, but also in Great Britain, other places. The movement was led by church leaders, by pastors, the elevation and worth of women in society was a Christian idea. Can I just tell you, 2,000 years ago, women didn't have rights. But Jesus stepped on the scene, and he started elevating women. The first evangelist in Scripture is a woman. The first person that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection was a woman. He told her, go tell the guys, because they're all hiding 
And throughout church history, it has been, it has been Christians who have advocated for women. Benevolence and charity, the good Samaritan ethic, was introduced by followers of Jesus. This, and today we take it for granted. We think that it's normal in culture, but it's because of the Christian influence in society. Benevolence, that was a weakness 2,000 years ago. You don't, you don't do good things for other people. That's a Christian ethic. Throughout the years, Christians have advocated for a high regard for human life. Not just regarding abortion, but in general, the sanctity of life. Christians are responsible for the codifying and setting to writing of many of the world's languages. In fact, historians and sociologists tell us we wouldn't have very much of the world's languages written at all if it wasn't for Christians. Most of the time, to begin with, so they could have a Bible in their language. The inspiration for many of the greatest works of art came from Christian sources. Listen, God has intended that we would be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That we would make a positive difference in the world in which we live. But to do so, we have to be potent and we have to get out of the box. We have to influence culture. We can't just stick around in a holy huddle, pointing our fingers at the outside world saying, la, 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 I can't hear you. Right? How powerful and potent are you? Are you connected to Christ? Are you intentionally growing in him? How are you doing in showing Christ to your place of influence, to your family, to your workplace, to your school? Do you bring Jesus into your work, into your friendships, into your relationships? Do the people around you know that you're a Christian? And is that a good thing or is it a negative thing in their eyes? Do they see someone who thinks and acts like Jesus? And I don't mean that you get this perfect. You know, part of being a follower of Jesus is when I get it wrong and I do get it wrong. Part of being a follower of Jesus is I come back to this situation as quickly as I can and I say, you know what, I messed that up. That's not how a Christian acts. That's not how a Christian reacts. And I got that terribly wrong. Would you please forgive me? I'm not saying we got to walk around in perfection because I'm not perfect. But it means that I'm trying to influence the people around me. I want to be as close to Jesus as I can be and at the same time be as close to the world as I possibly can be. Because that's the only way we're going to make a difference. Jesus said my prayer for them is not to take them out of the world. If they're out of the world, they're not going to make the difference. My prayer is that you would protect them in the midst of what I've called them to do. That you would be with them in what I've called them to do. To followers of Jesus in this room, how are you doing when it comes to your purpose? Do you look at your life and go, I'm, I'm the salt of the earth. I'm the light of the world. Maybe for you, you thought that that's sometime in the future. Can I tell you, we don't have time for it to be in the future. Present tense, right here, right now. We have got to begin to think of our identity, to think of our purpose as I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. I'm the salt of the earth. I'm the light of the world. How would that change things? How would that change our culture? That's why the issues like we talked about this issue is important. We can't just hide. We've got to engage. We don't have to be mean. We don't have to be jerks. Please don't. If you're going to be a jerk, tell people you go to a different church, please. (laughs) 
I get questions a lot. People go, why don't you guys have at Journey those bumper stickers that you can put on your car that say Journey Church? Like, other churches have them, and they are all over the place. And I'm like, I've driven behind some of those people. <laughs> and I've driven behind some of you guys. <laughs> so we'll just, we don't have to tell people through our bumper stickers. We can, we can be the salt of the earth. We can be the light of the world in other ways, right? It, it, it's not about... It's not about Christian t-shirts and bumper stickers and all that. It's about how do we respond to the people around us? How do we love the people around us? Let's be the light of the world. Let's be salt in a world that is so bland right now. In all of their efforts to nonconformity, our world is more bland than it's ever been. We need some salt we need some love. We need some joy. We need some people who are saying, I'm just not going to be a part of the fear of this world. Because my life is a vapor, and the Lord is with me, and so I will not be afraid. I'll be honest. I'll be truthful. I'm not going to put my head in the sand, but this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And people are desperate for that in this culture. Why do you have so much peace? This world's not my home. Living is great. Dying is, I'm going to be with Jesus. Are you salt? Are you light? That's God's calling upon every follower of Jesus in this room. If you're not a follower of Jesus in this room, become one. You say, that's too hard. I don't know how to do it. I don't know when the membership class is. Nope. You got it wrong. That's not what it is. Following Christ is humbling yourself and saying, I am sin-stained and sin-covered. God, I have been selfish and jealous and greedy and insecure and fearful. I've been controlling. I've lacked in generosity. Oh, God, would you come and forgive me through Jesus, through the death and resurrection of Jesus? Would you forgive me? Would you turn my life around and empower me to follow you? And you know, when you come to God with humility and you pray that kind of prayer, he hears you. He responds to you. He wants to empower you to actively, actually follow after him. Would you bow your heads with me? On this Independence Day weekend, what better time to say, I'm receiving the freedom that Christ has for me. I'm not going to be bound by sin any longer. I'm going to be free from the struggle of sin that leads to death. If you've never responded to Christ, you've never responded to the forgiveness that he offers through his death and resurrection, today is your day. In fact, if you're here and you say, Ken, I've never asked Jesus to come into my life. I've never, I've never made that decision to follow Jesus. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to call you out. Our baptisms on July 23rd is a time where we're going to go public. But if that's you, you'd say, I need Jesus' forgiveness. I need him to be the master and leader of my life. Would you just raise your hand? I, I want to pray with you if that's you this morning. Yeah, I see you. Anybody else? Yeah, I see you. Anybody else? Yeah, I see you guys over there, yeah. 
You can lower your hands after us. Yep. Who else? If you guys raised your hand, just under your breath, would you just pray, Jesus, have mercy on me. I've sinned against you. I come to you. Would you forgive me? I believe that you are the son of God, crucified and risen from the dead. You and you alone have the authority to free me, to forgive me. In Jesus' name. And God, I pray for my friends in this room, and I include myself in this prayer because I need it. Those in this room who would say we are followers of you, oh God, may we realize that today, present tense, not someday, that we are the salt of the earth, that our world desperately needs us to step in and be the preservatives and be the flavor. May we realize that today, present tense, not someday, today we are the light of the world. May we stay close to you. And may we look for the opportunities that you're giving us to demonstrate your light to others, especially when it's hard. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would you stand to your feet? If you're one of the people who raised your hands, I want to remind you of the connection cards that Pastor Aaron talked about earlier. On your connection card, there's a place that says, My Next Step. Would you just check that you're starting a relationship with Jesus or you're reaffirming a relationship with Jesus? We have some prayer partners that are coming at this time. If you need prayer, maybe you missed it uh, earlier while we were singing, you're welcome to come. Maybe you raised your hand and you just would like somebody to know that you raised your hand and ask them to pray with you. They would love, love, love to be able to pray with you. Don't forget your connection cards. We have some good-looking people that are already back there with those white buckets. They'd love to receive those. This week, may you realize you are the salt of the earth. This week, may you know that you're the light of the world. We'd love to see you on Wednesday for prayer at noon or at 7 p.m. We'd love to have you join us. God bless you guys.